This is a podcast from ABC Overnights. Here's Michael Pavlich. Alex Shine is a PhD candidate at Central Queensland University and she's the lead author of a recent paper in the journal Sleep, Healthy Sleep Practices for Shift Workers. Uh, very good morning, Alexandra. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Pav. Thanks for having me. No worries. Great to talk to you. An amazing study you've put together. And I think uh, as a shift worker and talking on behalf of shift workers right around the country, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm I'm hopeful that it can contribute something to the lives of shift workers. As an ex-shift worker myself, I can absolutely appreciate the challenge in trying to get a decent amount of sleep. So you, you were a shift worker. What did you do for shift work? Yeah, so I was um, I was a paramedic in Queensland, spent a little over 10 years doing that before transitioning into research. Okay, well, you would know all about it then, because I imagine you not only had uh, pretty stressful shifts to deal with um, and times to deal with as well, but, yeah, like a, a major a, a job there that you would probably have a lot of trouble cutting off from when you got home, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely, and that, you know, winding down, trying to wind down enough to be able to go to sleep is something that, um, you know, all shift workers really struggle with, and then I think if you add that layer of those really high-stress environments or even just not having a great day at work, it really amplifies that difficulty. Look, one thing I wanted to ask you, because we'll head to the phones, because we've got a lot of people wanting to talk to us, why are shift workers so important to the country and to the, to the economy as well? Why do we need to be looked after a little bit better? Yeah, great question. Uh, people probably don't realise just how many shift workers there are in Australia. So well over 2 million Australians engage in shift work and they work in our most critical industries. Our most critical services um, are staffed by shift workers. So obviously, you know, things like healthcare, um, our policing and defence, manufacturing, trucking, transport, mining, all of these services would grind to a halt without shift workers and we need healthy, well-rested shift workers to make sure that those services are delivered safely and efficiently. Now, you've put your research together with something called the Delphi Method. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a type of research that we use when we don't um, have existing consensus on something or we don't really have an evidence base to draw from. So if you're trying to create something new and there isn't a lot of research out there to lean on, you use the Delphi methodology. So what that involves is we recruited um, sleep and shift work and occupational health experts from around the world and we asked them to come together and help us create healthy sleep practice guidelines for shift workers because they just didn't exist. So some of the advice being provided to shift workers has been written for the general population who is asleep at night and active during the day. So that advice may not really be applicable or even safe for shift workers to be implementing. So the Delphi methodology, um, you bring all of these experts together and you go through a series of questionnaires um, and each questionnaire, they sort of refine the, the content of the guidelines a little bit more and building on that feedback in each round until you reach consensus where the majority of those experts agree, yep, we've really nailed it, we've got the right advice here and then um, we have the guidelines good to go. All right, so basically it's just a consensus model for a bunch of scientists getting together to compare notes. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's a a good thing to do because I imagine that they're all people who have a great amount of knowledge in this field. So the fact that you can pull everyone's thoughts and compile a report like this has got to be a great thing, I would think, for all of us. And we, uh, all shift workers around the country, like I said, should be thanking you probably for it. Um, You've looked at a number of different guidelines. We'll go through those in just a second, but we'll talk to a couple of people first. Jay in West Australia first up. G'day, Jay. Yeah, hi, how are you doing? Good, thanks. Look, I haven't worked in a high-stress environment, but I did spend 15 or more years in hospitality where you're working in a high-energy environment, and I also have suffered from anxiety and depression. Sometimes I find it hard to shut my brain down. So um, what I've found really successful is listening to um, binaural beats. Binaural Um, beats? What are they? Well, it's, it's like a... Like often I put headphones on, and it's um, it's just a low hertz um, beat of music, and it just it's like uh, curtains for my brain. Like I have it on the lowest level that you can listen to music on. Yep. Um, but yeah, it just it's the sound that it emits. Uh, it's you can't no other thoughts can come through. It's huh, okay. Have you you heard of this, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. There's um, there's some really good evidence for binaural beats uh, for a range of um, mental health problems. So it's really fantastic that you're able to use it that way and then also get the benefit for sleep. It sounds like you're really nailing that. Well done. That's great, Jay. You're doing a good job there. And, you know, those sorts of things. I mean, there's lots of methods, isn't there, for relaxing us if we've got a sort of racing mind and we've got a lot of chatter going on in our heads. Uh, obviously, the binaural beats there, but even just putting on a little bit of, um, you know, sound effects in the background, a bit of running water, waterfalls, wind, that sort of stuff can, uh, can put you to sleep as well. Yeah, absolutely. White noise can be really beneficial for a lot of people. I think sometimes there's this misconception that you've got to be in this really quiet environment. And sometimes, um, as Jay described, that can your, your mind can actually race more in that environment. So sometimes finding a sound or music that is relaxing for you can be more beneficial. And puts a question here, are some people naturally night owls? Can we have too much sleep? So some people are definitely night owls just uh, by nature. So we have something called a chronotype, each of us, which is our natural inbuilt preference for when we like to sleep. It's not as extreme as um, naturally being a a night shift worker per se, but some people definitely do prefer to go to bed late, get up late. Some people are the morning type where they like to go to bed early, get up early. Can we have too much sleep? Absolutely. So we know for um, otherwise healthy adults, we should really be looking at that seven to nine hour window. If you need consistently more than sort of 10 or 11 hours of sleep per night to feel rested, um, there's something else could be going on that's contributing to that so it would be worth getting that checked out with your gp now you say seven to nine hours is optimal but that's obviously not practical for a lot of people um a lot of people and i'm included in this don't mind taking a bit of a nap a power nap but according to your study there's actually optimal time for for taking a nap you can sort of go too long or not long enough with our, our naps yeah, correct. And and you're spot on. That's a challenge that a lot of shift workers face. We see these guidelines that say seven to nine hours 
of sleep and, and we're wondering how we're actually supposed to manage to get that. So for shift workers, we think of seven to nine hours per 24 hours, and that can absolutely be achieved through multiple sleep periods. So you may only get five hours in one solid go, but then you might get a couple of naps in to get you up to that seven to nine hours. How do you nap well? And that's where the timing comes in. So short, sharp naps, 15 to 20 minutes, that's really good energy boost, a bit of a freshen up. Long naps, more than 90 minutes, is a solid sleep. So that's enough time to go into your deep sleep and then you wake up feeling pretty rested. That's pretty restorative. Anything in between, so more than half an hour but less than an hour and a half, that can leave you feeling pretty groggy. You've gone into deep sleep but you haven't been asleep long enough to get the full beneficial effects of it. So short and sharp for that energy boost, that freshen up, or go for a long sleep, an hour and a half or more. Hmm, interesting stuff. Uh, g'day, Jumper. Uh, Jasper's Bush, good morning to you. <laughs> Jasper's Brush. Yes. Oh, Jasper's yep. Brush, sorry. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, welcome to your uh, uh, guest, uh, Alex. Alex, have you ever done any study into uh, uh, watchkeeping? You seem to emphasise a lot of uh, shift work, but not so much watchkeeping. Watchkeeping, in terms of what, Jumper? Um, when I was in submarines, you do watchkeeping, you do at the best you'd get off, at the best, would be six hours off, and out of that you have to do your ablutions, get your food, um, brush your teeth and, and then get a, get a couple of hours quick cap in, then you'd be back on watch in, in uh, six hours' time. Yeah, look, there's a couple of things here that we'll, we'll explore, Alex. One is the, the amount of time we're meant to have off between shifts, Alex. I believe there's an optimal mm. figure for that as well. Yeah, there absolutely is. That sounds like a, a pretty rough schedule, only mm. getting six hours break and having to fill, fill it with all of those other um, activities. We now know that that's really nowhere near enough time for people between periods of work. So um, in Australia, the, the standard is sort of a minimum of 10 hours. We do still see some industries that, that have shorter periods between their rostered periods of work. It may still be about six to eight hours, but the evidence suggests that 10 hours is really the bare minimum. And even that is insufficient for a lot of people. If you think you've got you know, a 30 or 45 minute commute either way to work, you've then got to come home, maybe you've got to you know, deal with the kids or you've got to have a shower and get ready for bed, that's really chewing into that sleep period. So we need to be putting aside seven to nine hours for a sleep period and then on top of that, adding time either side to get to and from work and all of those other bits and pieces. There'd be truck drivers driving around the country now who go, going, just no way are they going to get 10 yeah. hours off between their shifts. I mean, it's all nice in theory, but the practicality of this stuff, n- very difficult to enforce, I would think, because it's often not up to the drivers themselves. It's up to the, the people who are running the companies that employ the drivers that are, are riding, you know, running them too hard, driving them on too hard, hard of schedules. Absolutely. And that's a really significant challenge. And, and, you know, we acknowledge that this advice and this research is targeted at the individual and what they can control. But the role of organisations that employ shift workers cannot be understated. Yep. Some are really, um, you know, at the cutting edge and they, they want to see this research and they want to embed it in their practices at work. Others are dragging a little bit um, and and we really need them to come to the table and appreciate the benefit to them even if at the end of the day all that it matters is their bottom line they will save money they will they will improve productivity they will have greater work output less work errors if they have 
better rested shift workers. So it's really important that we get them on board and we get buy-in from employers of shift workers to create an environment that optimises their sleep. I'm not sure what the current rules are within the Navy, but uh, it sounds like they need to be given their people on watch a bit more time off because they ho- they've got a very important job. <laughs> you know, keeping watch for the rest of us and the security of the country. So I think it's uh, within all our interests to make sure they get enough changeover between shifts. Hey, Jumper, thank you for your call. John, good day. Good day, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. And what do you want to say? Um. I'm a big advocate for power naps, mate. Um, I've been driving trucks now for 26, almost 27 years, and I've done a fair mixture of that over that time of doing overnight express stuff. And I've found for me a 15-minute power nap, particularly between that sort of two to four in the morning thing, is a big lifesaver for me. Um, however. With a couple of medical things coming into play and talking to sleep specialists about sleep apnea, they actually advised against it um, and sort of gave me a big knock on the head for having power naps, um, which I argued argued with him that hour. It was like, you know, we work a 12 to 14-hour shift. If if I've got time to have a 15-minute nap, I'm bloody well going to take it. Yep. Yeah. Look, you're bringing up a few points there that I think we need to follow up uh, with with our guest there, John. So, look, thank you very much for your call. Uh, One here is that a lot of this research that you're putting out, Alex, or that you've uncovered or the paper that you put out is not knowledge that's uh, widely distributed yet amongst doctors and physicians. So perhaps a lot of the information that's contained in your report is something that they don't know about or is something that they're going to find out or discover later on down the track. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, and you know, this is this is no fault necessarily to our healthcare providers, but you know, a lot of the advice that they provide to people is for the majority of the population. And most people, thankfully, can sleep at night and be active during the day. And I think you know uh, that that example is a prime example of where you get the practicalities of shift work clashing with the advice that you're being provided with your healthcare professional and you're sort of left in the middle wondering what to do. And it's a, it's a really valid point. How do you have a 15-minute power nap if you do have sleep apnea? Maybe, you know, your doctor's saying you shouldn't be sleeping without your CPAP mask on or whatever it may be. And that, that really creates some practical challenges. So I think, you know, we spoke about getting organisational buy-in. I think we also need to get healthcare provider buy-in that, some of the advice and some of the ways that we approach sleep problems really need to be tailored for shift workers. It's, you know, it's looking like about 20% of the of the workforce is a shift worker now. So I think it's a significant enough portion that we can justify having some more tailored advice for them. Most definitely. Uh, we're talking to Alex Shrine this morning. He's a PhD candidate at Central Queensland University. She's the lead author of a recent paper into the uh, sleep patterns and healthy sleep practices for shift workers. Uh, we were talking there about uh, Pat and a couple of other people suggested that they've been working long shifts and rotating shifts for years and once you've done that for a long time it's really hard to get your body clock back into into normal life. Yeah absolutely and it's this really interesting phenomenon that we see where some people seem to adapt to shift work eventually like their body just gets used to it they get used to sleeping in that pattern 
And for those people, it can be very difficult to transition out of shift work because they have essentially trained their circadian rhythm that tells us when to sleep, how to sleep like a shift worker. There's another group of people who never make that adjustment. They really struggle and um, many times will leave shift work after a couple of years because they never are able to adjust and they really struggle with the effects of it. Um, you know, it's easier said than done in an ideal world once you have adapted to a certain rhythm. So say, for example, um, you're a baker and you're up at 2 a.m. every morning. Once you're in that rhythm, the best thing you can do for your sleep is stay in that rhythm for as long as you maintain that employment. Some people will go into retirement and they will still sleep in that same pattern because it's just how your brain has figured out how to sleep. And maintaining the rhythms is a very important part of getting good quality sleep. All right, let's have a chat to John. G'day, John. G'day, Pat. How are you, mate? Yeah, good, thank you. Just, It was just a passing thought. I mm. thought um, uh, maybe sometimes like, you get your truck drivers and you get your, like, your FIFO workers. It might not be such a bad thing that they're away from the family when they have to do this for the shifts because the upset to the, like, the uh, not the upset, but, you know... The, yeah, the disturbance uh, to the, the family rhythm. The, f- the family rhythm, yeah. yeah. Like, and when they come home, like they've had a sleep and all that sort of thing, and they can function as a normal, well, semi-normal unit, you know. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, yeah, I'm with you, John. Look, my mum used to work night shift as a nurse, and uh, I'll tell you what, she'd sleep during the day. If we came home from school and made any noise, there'd be hell to pay in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, you know what I mean, no, yeah. totally. Yeah. Look, it, it can put a lot of pressure on households. Uh, the, yeah. the shift work element, the fact yeah. that you know people are sleeping, even in the house when I get home uh, in the morning. Yeah, it's sort know. of like shift work is. I guess it's it's you know it's something we've got to do. I guess it's it's part of the deal, but um, it shouldn't um, impose on other members of the family. I don't think. No, you're right. Well, I don't know. Yeah. And it does, hey. I mean, it, without, you know, John, you, a really good point you're making that it does impose uh, on the other members of the family because they have to be gentle, you know, walk on tiptoes when they're walking around the house. Their whole life is impacted in a great way as well. I imagine you probably looked at this, uh, the effects of shift work on not just shift workers but the, their families and the people around them as well, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you both said, it, it can become quite um, an antisocial way of living because you're sleeping when everybody else is active. And mm. it, it definitely has, um, has an impact on the household in terms of they really need to shift the way that they live life to prioritising to promote the sleep of a shift worker. But we also know that shift workers sleep best when, you know, they're not sharing their bedroom with a partner or they're not sharing their bedroom with a pet or the kids because it, it is very disruptive. They need it to be such a, a sort of quiet, isolated environment. So I think it's a really good point you raised, John, that, you know, maybe there is an upside to um, being FIFO and, and to being able to be really kind of selfish with your sleep. Yeah. And look, it often uh, shift workers feel, you know, um, that... Nobody appreciates a shift worker. You feel very underappreciated <laughs> uh, sometimes. Anyway, uh, let's have a chat to John in Oakley. G'day, John. Yes. Oh, hi, Pav and, and Alex. Look, um, we all know that, um, that you know, we're supposed to be awake in the day and sleep at night. I'm just wondering, you know, what the effect, the actual effect on the body and the cell structure and all that sort of thing of 
staying up all night. And and I, I have two friends, and I'm not drawing any connection between this, but I'm, I'm really asking you, who both have multiple myeloma, and I'm wondering if you know of any increased incidence of multiple myeloma with people who work night shift. Uh, Alex? Yeah, great question. Um, what we do know that... Uh, disrupted sleep, so that that we see in shift workers where they're not able to maintain what we consider to be a natural circadian rhythm that you described as being active during the day and being asleep at night. So anyone who doesn't maintain that is at significant increased risk for a range of health problems, a range of cancers, um, you know, heart problems, uh, neurological problems, um, mental health problems. And it really impacts all systems of your body. Um, when you're asleep at night, your body goes through a whole range of really complex restorative and healing processes. And so when we're disrupting that with shift work, it doesn't get the chance to go through those natural processes in the way that it needs to. Um, I'm not sure on the specific incidents with multiple myeloma. I wouldn't be surprised if there was an increased risk, just given how much we know it increases the risk of other health problems. We do know in the most extreme cases of sleep deprivation because of shift work, it can get to the point where it actually starts to damage your DNA. And um, we do see reduced life expectancy in those people. That's your really, really, you know, really extreme problematic sleep. Um, so for most people, you know, trying to manage um, their lifestyle to optimise their sleep, we can avoid that. But it, yeah, it absolutely can wreak havoc on your body. Uh, look, thank you very much, John, for your call there. A couple of texts here. I've only just tuned in. I'm a pilot. We have a minimum of nine hours uh, between shifts, which isn't sufficient because uh, time to a hotel is over 30 minutes either way. Time for exercising and healthy food uh, needs to give us more time. So that's Alex in Perth. There. Uh, you would think a pilot's a pretty important job. You reckon they'd be giving more time off between shifts? Uh, you know, if you're a passenger in a plane, I think it'd be a nice bit of security to know your pilot's well slept. Uh, we'll just take that as a comment. Thank you. I've got here, I have worked as a manager for a transport company and as a driver, and it's amazing how differently you're treated by doctors when you advise them uh, you're a truck driver, I think Brett wants to say there. Um, it's good. I mean, yeah, doctors are sort of open to the fact that they know it's well documented, the problems with shift workers. So I imagine they would be fairly sympathetic, most doctors, to the fact that someone's having trouble with their sleeping patterns. And they're probably medical uh, science and doctors are going to be very interested in your survey and your study, I would have thought, Alex. Yeah, we hope so. I mean, I think that it's been a challenge for um, for your GPs and your healthcare providers because a lot of the tools they've had at their disposal um, you know, like we spoke about, have been written for your general population. So a lot of the times they can't really apply them to shift workers. So we really hope that these guidelines not only are helpful for the individual shift worker, but also the people in their life that need to support them, including yep. their GPs. Great, great. Good answer there. That's great. Uh, look, I've got here as well. My whole family had 12 hours sleep every night and they all lived into their mid-90s. Thank you, Anne. Well, sounds like you've got some healthy genes going on there. Uh, g'day, Was. Hello, Pam. Again, and um, warning, Alex. Perv, I'm starting to think I'm a little bit weird because you know me, you know me. I've been doing this shift for oh, 25, maybe 30 years, yep. all up. And I don't have any trouble sleeping during the day. I um, I'm just about to get in. I'll, I'll get in about four o'clock, and I don't go to sleep till about eight thirty. I 
I go sort of you know, watch a little bit of YouTube and wait for the bride to ring. She rings me and says hello and I get up and have breakfast. And by the time I do all that, I go to sleep at 8 o'clock and um, I'm up again at oh, half past three sort of thing. Yep. If I go to sleep any earlier than that, I'm up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and I can't do that. You know, like that's sort of the hours I keep. But what I've, what I've found is um, a little bit of white noise in the background, which is normally the fan from the cooler in the truck. I sleep in a truck all week. Yep. And um, if there is a bit of noise about, um, especially when I go down to Sydney, I sleep in the uh, yard down in Sydney. I'm right next to the workshop, so they're in there revving engines and bashing shaddies and doing all sorts of things with trucks. Um, I, I go to the canvas and I get... Um, the silicon earplugs that the kids use in the swimming pool. They're like a bit, uh, bit of silicon yeah, yeah. putty. And I put them in my ears. They mould to the shell of your ear and they literally seal your, seal your ear. And I, I don't have any trouble sleeping at all. Look, but if I, use those, if I use those foam earplugs, not a hope in hell because I just can't sleep. It's far too uncomfortable with them. Yeah, could the, I, only, it was the only rule I've got, rule I got, a, rule I got at home is entertain biggies and keep the dog out because he comes in and jumps on the bed and licks me. Yeah, look, I got that too at home. Our pet does a bit of barking during the day that, uh, you know, we'll have to yell yell out the window to say, <laughs> keep it down, will you? Um, but there are tricks you can use. And um, this is coming back to what you were saying before, I think, uh, Alex, about having a base amount of sleep. So Woz is getting a sort of slab of sleep there and supplementing it with a few naps along the way. Um, that, that is one way of going about doing it, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, because we just know that, you know, we're trying to sleep during the day, for a lot of us, it's just not possible to get that seven to nine hours. You're, you're trying to sleep when your body is not designed to be asleep. I mean, people, it, but part of the general population who can sleep at night, a lot of them aren't getting seven to nine hours then anyway. So, um, you know, what, what he's doing sounds sounds really good. Sounds like he's getting a decent a decent sleep during the day, which we would call an anchor sleep. It's that really main uh, restorative sleep and then supplementing that with some naps and sort of the experimentation with the earplugs is fantastic because it's really about finding what works for you you'll have shift worker colleagues that swear by a certain technique and then you try it you feel like it doesn't really make a difference it's really about that experimentation to to find what helps you sleep best I've got a text here from an anonymous person. It says, not sure which line I said it's to, but I'll try again. Passenger train drivers get seven hours off between shifts and travel at 160 kilometres an hour. It's madness. There you go. I'm not sure which particular rail uh, is employing people with the seven-hour changeover between shifts, but that does sound like a crazy thing. Uh, g'day, Luke. Yeah, hi. How are you going? Yeah. Um, thanks for taking the call. And, Alex, I just wanted to say thanks uh, this uh, sort of research is so important to uh, people who work in the shift worker sector. Um, I wanted to make a point that more so than day workers, shift workers uh, rest and fatigue is dependent on um, on other people. Uh, day workers, um, uh, you know, it, it's everyone around them goes to sleep at the same time. Everyone stops doing noisy activities at the same time um, and it's taken for granted. But... Um, a shift worker's rest is largely dependent on the organisation's design of, of the work, uh, design of the workplace, um, even expectations of productivity. For example, my um, post-2am productivity is well down on my pre-2am um, productivity. Um, this sort of research is really 
so important to um, you know the area of OHNS and um, and really belo- and is belongs to I guess um, the entire uh, population, particularly managers and and OHNS experts. We, we often the narrative is often you know what's the shift worker doing to look after themselves? Well, you know I'd say it's it's uh, even more important that the people who look after them have access to this sort of stuff. Yeah, look, I think you're dead right, Luke. You know, um, it, it's surprising, perhaps, Luke, that it's taken so long for something like uh, this this paper to be produced. I would have thought, and this research to be done. Uh, yeah, I, I think um, they're they're really. I've had managers who were former shift workers, and I've had managers who weren't, and uh, there is just a, a, a complete different level in comprehension of the challenges faced, and I I think that probably goes through, you know right up to the people who even consider and approve this sort of research, fund it and so forth. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it's just one of those human nature things, I guess. But yeah. uh, anything that adds to the body of research in this area is so important. I hope there's a link on the on the station's website we can get hold of the paper. Yeah, look, we'll, we'll point people in the right direction. So, yeah, look, Alex, so if people wanted to track down the guidelines that you're providing here that you've pinpointed... How do we go about doing that? Yeah, so the the easiest way is if you just jump onto Google and you type in healthy sleep practices for shift workers, um, you'll get a couple of hits. So there's the the full journal article, which is in a journal just called Sleep. um, And we've ensured that that journal article is offered in what we call open access. So it means it's not behind a paywall. Anybody around the world can access it, can read the full journal article if you're into the scientific methodology. If you just want the guidelines, if you type that into Google, healthy sleep practices for shift workers, you'll see them there up on the Sleep Health Foundation website. Um, and again, they're up there free, accessible to anyone. I mean, I couldn't, you know, read or I couldn't say it better than Luke. Absolutely. We need buy-in from organisations. They're so responsible for the culture that they breed around rest and fatigue and productivity. And we see that cultures, you know, in organisations where it's all all about productivity and really and rest and mm. fatigue is not prioritised, uh, we don't see good outcomes for workers and no one benefits then. So look, and also we're going to put a link on the ABC Overnight's Facebook page to, to that site as well, so there's another way of tracking it down, but yeah, you can get access to them and as you say, it's not behind a paywall or anything. The very good people who put this report together are making it available free for all shift workers, so... We thank you even more than we were before, Alex. Uh, as Sid has called us. G'day, Sid. G'day, people. How are you going? Good, thank um, you. I, I worked uh, three shifts uh, underground at the North Mine. Yep. And uh, you had to have your, your wits about you uh, with heavy machinery. Yep. And I, I found that uh, uh, it, you, it's, uh, your, home, your home life... Uh, really intruded on your, your shift pattern because of uh, the kids and uh, yep. uh, the sleeping yeah. weekend. Look, I'll, uh, I'll take up a couple of those things. See, the operating heavy machinery, like, see, no interest, you would think, for someone to be half asleep operating heavy machinery. Again, this is something that you have looked at quite specifically in the report, wasn't it there, Alex? Yeah, absolutely. And and this came from the acknowledgement that a lot of our shift workers work in our most high-risk industries. 
um, you know, the majority of shift workers are not office-based. They're out and about. They're operating heavy machinery. They're on the road. They're doing really high-stress things in high-stress environments. And what we realised from that is that they're particularly at risk for fatigue and they're particularly at risk for something called sleep inertia. So all shift workers would know exactly what that feels like. You've been asleep and then you wake up and you're groggy, you're uncoordinated. Uh, sometimes you'll feel like you're even on autopilot for, you know, half an hour. You don't really remember how you got from A to B. That's something called sleep inertia. So it means you've woken up, but your brain hasn't caught up to being awake yet, and it's still very much in a sleep state. That's a really high-risk time for shift workers, particularly those of us who are operating heavy machinery. You're on the road. You're doing those high-stress uh, tasks. So there's some strategies that you can uh, implement if you feel like that is happening to you. Um, a blast of cool air, so get in front of some air con, some bright lights, some bright LED um, overhead lights. Uh, you can listen to some loud music or be around some loud noise. Some people find that, you know, caffeine or caffeinated gum can really um, help to get them through that or a quick burst of physical activity. Do some star jumps, do some push-ups, something like that. Get the blood flowing and get your brain realising that it's time to be awake. I think Mick and I suffer from a bit of sleep inertia throughout the night on the program. Uh, I've got here, Peter from Brisbane says, this is, this is an interesting one, I've worked rotating shifts for 22 years and the best advice I was given at the start was not uh, so much sleep, but many people have digestive disorders and the advice was to stick as best you can to eating at the normal regular meal times. That was the best advice I could have because uh, it improved my intestinal health completely. Have you looked at the things like diet patterns and when we eat and how that affects our sleep? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a whole body of research called chrononutrition, and that looks at the impacts of eating around the clock. And what we know, much like sleep, if you're eating outside of those normal rhythms, you're going to experience a whole bunch of negative consequences. So your body's absolutely designed to be eating during daytime hours and then sleeping at night. So they have shown that there's quite a bit of um, evidence to support fasting during night work. So if you're on a night shift, uh, not eating your really heavy meals, and there's a lot of reasons that's beneficial. You know, we all know what it feels like. You've had a really heavy meal on night shift and all you want to do is go to sleep. You just feel so fatigued, really sort of weighed down by it. But we also know that it increases the risk of your metabolic disorders, so things like developing diabetes, gaining weight, because your body doesn't really know how to process food at that time. Okay. There is a fine line, though. Don't go so far as not eating to the point where you're just exhausted and you have no energy. So you should do your sort of, you know, small nutritious snacks and use caffeine judiciously. So if you know caffeine helps you get through a shift, use it before and during your shift to help keep you awake and alert. I'll put my bag of lollies to the side here, Alex. <laughs> um, Craig Massenden's got an interesting one. He says, I worked 22 years in airlines, nine years of rotating shifts. Critical checks of aircraft engines and systems were stopped during the 2.30 to 5 a.m. shift as most workers were found to be vulnerable uh, and became walking zombies <laughs> and the human concentration was at its lowest point. So that's, uh, that's nice to know that when they had to do that critical maintenance, they, uh, they let people off for a few hours there. Because we like to think that they're they're doing the job properly. <laughs> uh, David the mailman, g'day, David. I know you work a bit of shifts driving around the country. How are you going this morning? Yeah, good, Dave. Uh, hello to Alex as well. Um, yeah, my nutritional uh, side of it is one of the main things you look at, and exercise. Yep. When you wake up of an afternoon, get it instead of laying around doing watching TV or whatever, 
get up and go to the gym, go and do, go for a walk, whatever. But the other problem I have is on a weekend, I'll get home of a Friday night at about nine o'clock at night, and normally I'm going to bed at that time of day. And then uh, you wake up again, you have that couple of hours in the morning, but seven o'clock Saturday morning, I'm wanting to go back to bed again. And the other thing is, if you go out of a weekend, on a Saturday night, normally because you're in bed at nine o'clock, everybody yeah. else is raring to go, and you're you're there going. <laughs> I'm totally with you, Dave. I understand exactly what you mean. And of course, if you don't want to go out, it can give you a good excuse, Dave, to say, sorry, I'm working nights. Uh, so it can work the other way. But I'm, I will take it up with Alex because you're talking about uh, a few things there. That uh, yeah, when we have our weekends, when we have our days off, you're suggesting that it's best to try and keep similar sleep patterns to, to our work uh, hours. Yeah, absolutely. If if possible, it's and, and, and you have been able to develop a good routine with your sleep during your period of work, ideally we would recommend maintaining that same pattern on your days off. And that just uh, reinforces the pattern in your brain. It allows your body to continue understanding when you need to be asleep and when you need to be awake. You absolutely can supplement with naps, though, um, because oftentimes shift workers have just not had enough opportunity to sleep during their rostered periods of work. So they go into to a bit of a sleep debt where they haven't really had enough sleep and they're really fatigued. So by the time they make it to days off, all they want to do is just sleep all day and all night. Try and maintain that same rhythm that you were using. Um, it's a bit more difficult if you're on those rotating rosters where your shifts are changing all the time. But if yeah. you're on a fixed roster, maintain that same pattern and supplement with with naps if you're feeling like you are in a bit of a sleep debt, you're really fatigued and you want to catch up a bit. Just quickly, Tyne, hey? Uh, good morning, Alex and Pav. Um, probably the last 25 years I've been doing um, shift work, um, starting at stupid o'clock every morning. Yeah. Uh, but I find I've actually found that even though I do set an alarm as an emergency every every day, um, my body wakes me up. I'm normally up at quarter to one every morning, and my body normally wakes me up about twelve thirty. And yep. I don't need to use the alarm. But um, we're under the system that I work under, and a lot of the blokes are working under, which is called BFM, which is Basic Fatigue Management. And it, in a 24-hour period, it actually allows us to work seven, well, working time, 17 hours, and then you have to have a full seven-hour rest period. So that's 14 hours of work and three hours of breaks during the day and then oh. a so-called seven-hour break. I'd like to meet the man in government that said that I only need seven hours of rest um, <laughs> time, look, we're, we're, we're going to run out of, uh, out of time to take up your, your issue there, unfortunately. Um is a bit bit longer than I thought. Alex, look, it's been fascinating talking to you, and we might have to get you on there. You can address Tyne's problem there, uh, because we've got so many calls and so many texts that have come in about this, so we might get you back and have a, a chat about it down the track, if that's all right. Absolutely. We'd love to, um, yeah, keep chatting all about sleep and shift workers. Alex Shine, their PhD candidate at the Central Queensland University. 